Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Well, uh, before we get going on the Ten Commandments, we've got a, a couple of things that I need to uh, bring up. Um, so first and foremost, uh, we have, it's, it's, it's going to be an insane week uh, this week, uh, but this Thursday at 6 o'clock, we are having our law enforcement appreciation dinner. Uh, we had to wait to see if we could open it up to church members once we got the RSVPs back uh, from the police department. So we do have room. There are tickets available. Um, they're a buck uh, a piece. It's just help defray cost. And so I know Thursday's a busy night. A lot's going on. There's Emancipation Day. There's, there's lots of stuff. We did not mean to, to uh, schedule it on that. That was on our speaker. That's when our speaker said he could be here. And if you can be here, if you don't have other commitments, you will want to be here, uh, if nothing else, to hear Jeff Struker. Um, I've heard Jeff live twice, um, and his testimony is absolutely amazing. He was uh, not only an Army Ranger, he was Ranger of the Year. Um, that's a competition that you have to win. Um, beyond that, he was in Panama. He got shipped off to Panama, for those of you old enough to remember that, literally the week he was married. Um, then he was shipped to Kuwait, and then he was shipped to Somalia. And if you read the book or watch the movie Black Hawk Down, he's in it. And a lot of the movie focuses on this group led by Josh Harton and others who kind of hold up for the night. What Jeff Struker was doing is he was going in and out of the city all night long in a Humvee rescuing soldiers. He had to fight his way in and out of Mogadishu like a dozen times that night. And so you'll want to hear, his he's now a pastor, and so you'll want to hear his testimony. So if you want one of those tickets, Mom will be selling those right outside. The uh, uh, second order of business is this. I don't know how many of you pay attention to your bulletins, but there are anniversary and birthday celebrations that are uh, listed in there. And um, so just so you know, here in the next week, um, somebody here on staff turns 85, and it ain't me. Um, so I don't know what we'll do about that, but we might do a little, a little something that's coming up. But this law enforcement dinner, this is just going to be a hectic. I got to, when I'm done here, I've got to run home, put together a 30-minute PowerPoint presentation for class, drive to Louisville tonight, um, wake up in the morning for a breakfast meeting, record a podcast till noon, turn around, drive three, three and a half hours back for class that afternoon and evening, have staff meeting on Tuesday, uh, do my small group Bible study on Tuesday night, and then we have the law enforcement dinner on Thursday. So I'm already on blood pressure medication, but if you could pray for me, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those weeks. Um, but speaking of the small groups, on uh, Tuesday night, I have a small group Bible study meets here in the student center at 6.30. We change it from 6 to 6.30 because it just works better 
for most people. That gives you a chance to get home, get something to eat, all that kind of stuff. 6.30, we've been going over the Gospel of John. We've just finished chapter one, so if you want to join us, we spend the first from 6.30 to 7, we just kind of hang out, have fun, play games. Uh, one of the games we've been playing is called the Rotten Tomatoes game, and, and it has nothing to do with tomatoes, it has everything to do with movies. But, um, and so we play that, and then we have the Bible study from 7 to 7.30, and then we're out of there. And I've had people say they get nervous. They say they want to come, but they don't know if they want to be put on the spot to play the game. The games are voluntary, folks. It's not, you know, it's, it's a Bible study, not a concentration camp. You, 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 all right, you, you, you know, you, you do what you want. It's, it's, it's completely voluntary. People volunteer to be teams or play on their own. Um, and like I said, we've been playing the Rotten Tomatoes game where you try to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score uh, for a movie. And I've had many petitions that the Joneses, Chris and April, must have a handicap from now on because they are kicking everybody's behind. And so, all right, the Carters just said amen. Then, yeah, they did. we got to give them a five-point handicap or something. So we have fun, and then we do the Bible study. You're welcome to attend. The Ten Commandments, let's get to it. Um, once upon a time... Almost everyone in America knew the Ten Commandments because even if you didn't go to church, they were everywhere, right? They were in courthouses and, and, and in schools and, and so forth. And about 20 years ago, that began to change as, as lawsuits came and they began to get yanked from places. And there's a reason for that, and the reason for that is this simple. It has nothing to do with uh, the people at the ACLU thinking that you should murder and lie and commit adultery. Their objection is to the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, place of slavery. You must not have any other God but me. That's the objection. That it is God and God alone. That's how it starts. The first commandment is, I will be your God. I will have no others. Even goes on to say, I am a jealous God. And we'll talk more about that here in a second. But first we need to answer this question. What is our relationship to the Ten Commandments now? If you are a believing Christian, what do you do with this? Because Jesus makes it clear in the New Testament that not all of the Old Testament law applies anymore. The cultic laws don't apply anymore. We don't, we don't go to Jerusalem and sacrifice cows and oxen and all that kind of stuff anymore. We don't, you know, celebrate the festival of booths and live out in tents or any of that other kind of stuff. We don't do that anymore. Kosher food laws don't apply anymore. People of God can now eat pork, praise the Lord. And so, but how does this apply? How, here's the deal, like, and, and we don't, you know, uh, Jesus made it very clear that we don't vigorously observe the Sabbath anymore. The Bible, I think, is pretty clear that our Sabbath will come when we go to be with our Lord. So what, what do we do with this? And, and this is an age-old question. This has been debated for 2,000 years. Some of you are old enough and been around long enough that you'll remember, and I remember this when I was a little kid, maybe eight, nine years old here at church, 
that after the church service, we showed a movie, and it was a movie based upon a book by Francis Schaeffer, and the, and the title of that book was How Shall We Then Live? And that's the question I get from a lot of Christians. It's okay, I've come to faith, I'm saved, now what? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Do I have to, what, what do I do? Is it, are all my sins are, are covered, so therefore, what, what do I do? Does the ten, do the Ten Commandments still apply? And I would say largely, yes, they do apply, especially the first one. I am the Lord your God, and you will have no other God but me. All the others you have to put into context. People ask me all the time, what does it mean to honor your mother and your father and, and, and all the other kind of stuff? And it's a good and fair question because I've had children, people come to faith who were children of abuse. What does it mean to honor my mother and my, my father? I had one of the best and worst days of my preaching career all on the same day. I preached, and for once, I think I did a decent job. And people came to faith that day and everything, and I was like, awesome. And one of the things I talked about was forgiveness, the necessity of forgiveness. And I go home, and I eat lunch, which, praise the Lord, included pork. And I get an email from a woman who used to come here to church. She's job reason she moved to Cincinnati, but, but when she was here, she said, growing up, my father molested me. How do I forgive him? What kind of relationship am I supposed to have with him now? Because, by the way, he gets out of prison this week. I said, give me a minute. And after praying and thinking and looking at it for a few minutes, what I said was, you need to forgive him for you. You don't want to grant that power over you to him. You need to forgive so you can move on in your life. But that does not mean that you have to have a close relationship with him. When the Bible says, honor your father and mother, nearly all Hebrew scholars agree that what it means by that is this. You don't allow your parents to fall in to abject poverty. That you care for your parents, especially when they're older. That that's what that means. So these things you've got to keep into context to be sure. Does it say do not lie or is it saying do not testify falsely in court? Specifically, what is it doing? That's a fair question. And I tell people, I said, well, again, context is everything. I think it is saying do not lie, but do you think that, let's just hypothetically, if you got put into the twilight zone 
and you're living in Poland in 1942, and you're hiding a Jewish family in your attic, and a Nazi knocks on your door and says, are you hiding any Jews here? What do you do? I'll take the bullet on this one. The Lord can blame me. I say, you lie your socks off. Context. It's context. But we have a problem with the law, and here's the problem, and this is the reason why people struggle with it, with any of the commands of the Bible. We don't like to be told what to do by God, a preacher, your parents, New Boston police officers, whoever it is. We don't like it. It's not long before every child, every child I've ever seen, learns to basically take the attitude, you're not the boss of me. Right? That's in us. That's a sinful thing that is in us. So if we're going to talk about obedience, let's put obedience in this theological context. And first of all, let's define obedience. Um, the great Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller, a great pastor who, by the way, is, is uh, fighting pancreatic cancer. So you should pray for him. But he says obedience is the same thing as discipline. Obedience is a willingness to have your will crossed. So, for example... Um, once upon a time before COVID, I would get up very early in the morning. And I would get up, not because I wanted to, I don't like to get out of bed, ever. I would get up bed very early. I would go drink this devilish concoction of water, lemon juice, and pink Himalayan salt to hydrate me. And then I would go to the gym and work out for an hour to an hour and a half. Did I want to do that? Nobody wants to do that. You want to do that. There's something wrong with you. But you do it why? Because you want to feel a certain way, you want to look a certain way, you want to have more energy and focus, and so that, that's why you do it. That's why you exercise. That's why you eat right. That's why you do it. That is discipline. You do it for a specific benefit that you want, right? Longer life, fit into your clothes, all that kind of stuff. If Tim Keller's right, and I think he is, this is no different. If you don't practice physical discipline, what happens? You get overweight. Eventually, you have health problems, diabetes, heart issues, you name it. Obedience to God is similar. It's not necessarily that it's all this stuff that you want to do. Because of the sinfulness within us, we don't want to be obedient to God. It is not in us naturally to, to be obedient to God. But it's a discipline. It's a discipline. 
for a specific benefit. And the benefit is not that you will just feel better or, God help us, we become self-righteous. It's not. It shouldn't be any of that. It is purely to serve a God who loves us. The way Tim Keller also puts it, he says, it's not unlike a good marriage. You know, if I get up and I do the dishes and I change the laundry, I'm not doing that because I want to do that. I do that because I love the look on my wife's face when she sees that I did something. It makes her happy. And her being happy makes me happy. You see how that works? Right? I don't want to get up with her demon puppies and take them outside and clean up their poop. I don't... You know the worst part about hearing a dog gag in the middle of the night? It's not the dog gagging in the middle of the night. It's that I'll have to clean it up in the morning. But this is what, this is what we, we do. You know, Megan uh, missed church last night because from 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, she was working on a bold movement Bible studies, and she got an entire one done, and she was on a roll. I said, honey, stay home. No, 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 no. I'll be there to support you. I'll be there to help close up the building. I'll be there. She, she does a lot around here. I mean, she basically has two full-time jobs, and she helps lead worship, and she helps count the tithe, and she helps close up the building. And, and I said, no, I, you're on a roll. I want you to stay home. Keep doing what you're doing. I can handle it. And the look on her face was just, really? I said, yeah, really. Now, did I want to leave her at home? No. I take a perverse pleasure out of, like, having someone to vent to in New Boston. And I get home a lot earlier when she's here because she, she helps. She helps close down the building. She gets the money taken care of, all that kind of stuff. And it's, But she had a smile on her face. Now, I'm not trying, at this point, it does no good. You guys know if you've been married for a while, after a while, you know, part of your entire day is focused on not getting the look. And then if you can flip that and you can get a smile, it's like the angels are singing hallelujah. So you're not getting anything. You're not earning anything. You're not, you know, you know, we got the rings. You know, it's, it's a done deal. I may have put on the COVID-19, but she's stuck. Yeah, she ain't going anywhere. I ain't going anywhere. 
So I'm not getting anything from, from that. I'm avoiding the look, but I'm not getting anything extra. This is how obedience works if you're a Christian. The Bible makes it very clear. You're not, you're not going to get all these bonuses. God's not going to elevate you above your fellow sinners. That's not going to happen. Obedience is, this is what you, is expected. And Jesus says this. You don't praise a servant for just doing his job. But obedience pleases God. And this is the Bible makes it very clear. One, God made you. You owe your very existence to God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you. Hebrews makes it very clear. Every second you have, every second of life, every breath you have is a gift from Jesus Christ. If Jesus doesn't want you to have it, you're gone. I can be in the best shape of my life, and I could be living in the middle of the Cleveland Clinic. And if Jesus said, I've had enough of Matt, I'm gone. That's two. Three, another purpose of the Ten Commandments and all the law is to demonstrate to God's people how sinful they are. If any one of you are going to look me in the eye and tell me you have never broken one of the Ten Commandments, the first thing I'm going to say is, well, there's the lie part. I mean, if nothing else, everyone here has coveted. Coveted is, is lusting after what somebody else has. We have an entire industry in this nation designed to make you covet. It's called advertising. What the Ten Commandments say is just be content with what you have. Don't worry about wanting all kinds of extra stuff. Now, I don't know about you. I, look, I'm a, I'm a cord cutter. I don't have cable anymore. We just have all these various streaming services that I can't even keep track of anymore. One of the main ones I watch is Hulu. But, and I know you can get Hulu ad-free, but I'm cheap. And so I, I see a lot of ads. And it's all designed to make you want stuff. All of it. You know, you're never going to see a, an, an ad from Apple going, Hi, this is Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. We have a new iPhone, but really it's no different than your last one. So if you don't want to buy one, don't worry about it. Have a good day. You will never see that ad ever. Right? What do you see? You see the guy at Lily's counter showing her the old phone, and, the, and everyone, like, recoiling, like, like, you know, you just revealed some mutation that you have because you have a four-year-old phone. This is where we are, and let's face it. 
even if that didn't exist. That, I said this before, but I, I think it bears repeating. Let's say your coworker or your neighbor pulls up brand new, right off the line, spanking new Mercedes. How many of you in your heart honestly look at that and go, good for him? Good for him. You may say that. That ain't what you're thinking. What do you think? Why well, he gets to say, oh, I deserve whatever he does. That's called coveting. Ever done that? You've broken one of the Ten Commandments. God made you. God gives you every moment of life. But you are a sinner. You have broken God's law. The one who made you, gave you laws to live by, you have broken them. Therefore, you need a Savior. Because you cannot restore what you owe to God. So God in his graciousness puts on flesh and went to the cross to take the penalty for your sins so that when you come to faith, all of your sins are canceled out. Your sins against God are paid by God. And then for that, he gives you a perfect eternity. Do we not owe him as much as we owe a spouse in a good marriage? Don't we owe him the discipline to go out of our way, to do those things, even the things we don't want to do, if nothing else, just to say thank you? To show gratitude? To show love? Don't think of it as obedience. Think of it as showing thanks and love for the one who loves you more perfectly than you could ever imagine. And here's the kicker. The kicker is this. The Bible teaches that if we are obedient, we will grow in our faith and if we grow in our faith, we will become happier people. We will become joyful. We will become content. So in grace upon grace upon grace, we not only get to show our Creator and our Savior that we are thankful to Him and for Him and that we love Him, but we also become happier people? Obedience is the means to the end, not the end itself. The end itself is to be closer to God. 1 John 2.5 says, Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him, and that is how we know we are living in him. But, here's the problem. Problem goes back to that first commandment. The great reformer Martin Luther said that if we keep the first commandment, we'll keep the rest. 
if we love God with all our heart and mind, if we have no other gods but God, everything else will flow naturally. But the problem is we all, all of us do have other gods. And I'm not saying that you, you're going to go home and you're going to watch the Browns and Bengals lose. And then you're going to turn to some, you know, carved statue you have over your mantle and, and bow to it, all the other kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. When God says you should have no other gods before me, he's not talking about necessarily just about religion. He's talking about what is first in your life. What is primary in your life? Now, I just went on and on and on about how much I love my wife, how I do certain things to hopefully make her happy. But, and she knows this, and she agrees with this. As a Christian, my wife cannot be primary in my heart. God must be. Because you can make a good thing an idol. Marriage to someone you adore and is also happens to be your best friend, that is a wonderful thing. And I thank God for it. But it can become an idol. Your love of your kids is a good thing, but they can become an idol. In fact, I talk to parents all the time who just, they go on and on about how much their kids are doing. They're taking them to this sports thing, they're taking them to this thing, they're taking them to that thing, they're taking them to this thing, they spend all evening doing this and then rushing around trying to do homework and then all this kind of stuff and everything revolves around the kids. And I, I, I know that you parents have the absolute best intentions. You want to show love to your children. But the simple fact is, and this is not coming from me, this is coming from the God of the universe. If you're not taking all that time to teach your kids to be godly, you're raising them to be successful pagans going to hell. And on the other side of eternity, those few decades of success aren't going to look that great. Uh, my son is in a Christian university. Thankfully, I'm glad for that. I think people are crazy to send their kids to to uh, state university if they, unless they have to. Because you're just paying for indoctrination as far as I can tell. But I've told him this many times. He wants to graduate, become a filmmaker. That's what he wants to do. He loves movies. He wants to be a movie maker. I can't say much because I ran away from home, ran to Hollywood to try to do the same thing. Um, I didn't encourage that. It's apparently just in, our, in my DNA. But I've told him again and again when he talks about the projects he wants to do. I said, okay, that, that's great, and I hope you do it. 
But, Jackson, I will love you and be proud of you if you're a janitor as long as you love Jesus Christ. We make idols ourselves. We don't need to help our kids make their own. Anything can come before God. How much time uh, during the day, be honest, do you spend thinking about God and your relationship to God? And how much time do you spend thinking about other things? That's a tell. That's a tell. And there's something interesting here, following along those lines. In verse 5, I think it is, where God says, I am a jealous God. Everywhere in Scripture that jealousy is mentioned, it's a sin. Jealousy is a sin. Jealousy can drive you crazy, especially when it comes to a spouse. I've seen, I don't know how much bloodshed and, and hospitalization, everything, stemming from some kind of jealousy. Jealousy is typically a bad thing. Except in very set, narrow set of circumstances that deal with relationships. God has the right to be a jealous God. Just let me go back and repeat myself. He made you. He keeps you alive. He saved you. He's coming back for you. So when he does all that for you, and you put anything else ahead of him in your heart, your desire, a human relationship, a hobby, money, fame, any of that stuff. You put that ahead of God. God is jealous. And you should be ashamed. If I do something that makes my wife jealous, I have no excuse other than I'm an idiot male. Right? I should not make her, her jealous. She shouldn't try to make me jealous. Now, I'll rat on her. She does that every once in a while. Because she gets hit on all the time. And then she can't wait to get home and tell me all about it. I don't want to hear it. And I don't know why she has such a big smile on her face when she's telling me. But God has every reason to be jealous for you. And you need to take your assignment for this week, your mission if you choose to accept it, is literally spend time thinking about what do you think about? What do you spend your money on? How much time do you really spend with God? You know, when Paul says pray constantly, 
Some of you all need to learn that prayer is not necessarily on your knees, eyes closed, head bowed, hands like this. You can pray silently all day long without anyone knowing you're praying. And one of the reasons Paul says to pray constantly is because what is Paul trying to do? He's trying to tell the people of God, you're going to go astray if your mind is not focused primarily on God. So the way you focus your mind primarily on God is to continuously talk with God. That's the reason. That's the point. And you can talk to him about anything. And, and by the way, this is... You don't have to... Be fancy, and you don't have to thee and thou it. You are talking to your heavenly father. Do you talk to your own fathers that way? I don't. And he's almost as old as God. You just talk to him. It's a story about a, a, a guy, he was a businessman, and he wanted to be faithful, but he said, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And so his pastor told him, he said, look, get out your calendar, put God on it, and then see if there's anything so important that it can knock that off. And he said, well, but I don't know, and he was of that opinion, I, I can't, I can't, I don't want my secretary to come in and find me standing there on my knees with my eyes closed. I said, he said, you don't have to do that either. Now, where in the Bible does it say you have to do that? We'd all be impoverished if, if we prayed all day on our knees and did nothing else. But this, he told this guy, he said, look, when somebody comes into your office, a friend, a family member, and they want to talk to you about something, how do you do it? He says, well, I, I, I don't like to be behind my desk, so I pull my chair out, and I pull a chair right in front of me, so we're just a few feet apart, and we talk. He said, do that with God. And so he started to do that. Ten years later, when he had a massive heart attack, do you know where they found him? With his head on that empty chair. He'd gone to be with the Lord, talking to the Lord. It's not a bad way to go. God was, is not going to be primary in your heart until he takes up the bulk of your time. You've got to remember, as sinful as we are, when God created us, this is what he wanted us to be. In constant relationship with him, worshiping him, serving him, being obedient to him. This is what we were designed to do. Have you ever tried to use an instrument for something of which it was not designed? Ever done that? I have. Ever go well? Right? If you have a flathead screw, you want a flathead screwdriver, correct? You have a Phillips head, you want a Phillips head screwdriver. You want something that was designed to be. Or otherwise, it's just the task becomes difficult. I, when I'm not 
doing my PhD stuff and having to read, you know, all this stuff on theology and church history and all that kind of stuff. I like to read, but I am, and I don't need an amen here, I'm a bit of a weirdo, and I like to read weird stuff, kind of stuff off the beaten track, you know. And I was reading this book that was recommended by a professor of mine. It was a book called, I think it was called Killer Diller. It's a novel set in this little small southern town. And it revolves around this elderly woman who's a godly woman. And she takes people in. She's got this big house. She's a widow. And she just takes people in that need help. And so at this one point, when the novel focuses on the story, she has living with her a recently paroled felon and a person who is mentally impaired. And they're having this conversation one day because the mentally impaired guy is trying to open a can with a bottle opener. And the felon says, well, wait a minute. We have a can opener. Just use the can opener. And the other guy goes, but you can get it open with a bottle opener. And he goes, Okay, but the can opener is designed to open cans. It's going to be easier for you. And the guy responds, but you can get it open with a bottle opener. And finally, the guy, the felon frustrated, goes, look, you can run over the can with a car. It doesn't make the car a can opener. To which the mentally impaired guy goes, does for a second. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, but we all agree, I think, that using something for what it was designed for makes the job easier. You were not designed to work yourself to death. You were not designed to glorify your greed or your selfishness. You were not designed to treat human relationships as a one-way street. You were not designed to be dishonest. You were designed to have God as your God and no others. You were designed to worship Him. You were designed to serve him, which is why the Bible says that your true happiness, your true happiness lies at the other end of your holiness. You will not know true happiness until you are that close to God. That's what it's all about. I know that sounds difficult if you're a new Christian or you're not a Christian. We'll have a, see if there are any people here want to come forward. If you're welcome always now at the end of our services, that if you want to come to faith in Jesus Christ, all you have to do is meet me down here. Chris, you can go ahead and crank up the music for that if you like. And
And if you all would stand. Never feel that you cannot come to God. Never feel. I know that there are some maybe who are even watching this who can reach out to me via email, whatever they want to do, via Facebook, however you want to do it. The biggest myth about our faith out there is that you have to be perfect before you come into a church, and that is a lie cooked up in the pits of hell. All you have to be is willing, no matter what you've done. I'll tell this story and I'll quit. I said this story once before about a young girl in Brazil. She puts primacy in her heart on becoming famous, becoming wealthy. She's in a small town. She leaves for the city. She becomes a prostitute, ashamed of herself. Her mother takes every penny she can gather together, goes to the city, puts up flyers with a picture of her daughter. The daughter walks out of a cheap hotel one day and looks up and sees the flyer with her picture on it and a message from her mother that says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've become. I love you. Come home. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, Chris, that's cool. Let me pray over all of you, and we'll go out. I hope you'll be praying for the church this week. I hope that if you can come to the dinner Thursday night, you will. If not, I hope you will participate in the Emancipation Day activities. I think that's important. I, I apologize that we scheduled the dinner on the same night. Like I said, it's just our only time our speaker could make it, and I really hate that. But I'll be praying for that event. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your law. We've all broken it. We all deserve to be cast out of your household. But we have the assurance that if we come to faith in your son, all will be forgiven. In fact, the message of the cross to all of us is I don't care what you've done. I love you. You're my child. Come home. May we keep this in mind, and may all of us challenge ourselves this week to pray constantly so that we keep you in the forefront of our heart. And we thank you for the grace upon grace that the more we obey, the closer we get to you, the closer we get to you, the happier we will become. It's a gift we do not deserve. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God goes with you. Lord willing, I will get through this week and see you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.